Tech Sounds presents The Conscious Capitalists. Hello and welcome to The Conscious Capitalists, hosted by two of the co-founders of the Conscious Capitalism Movement and co-authors of the Conscious Capitalism Field Guide from Harvard Business Press, Raj Sisodia and Timothy Henry. Each week, this podcast covers current events and business news and Raj and Timothy's latest thinking on what it takes to build a conscious business. For more information and notes from the show, go to www.theconsciouscapitalists.com. And now, Raj and Timothy. Hello, everyone, and welcome to this episode of The Conscious Capitalists with myself, Timothy Henry, and my partner in making the world a better place through business, Raj Sisodia. Now, unusually, I'm going to do a little introduction to today and next week's episodes, because today we get into a deep conversation with Gervaise Warner, the CEO of Macy, the largest business in the Caribbean basin. Raj and I break our conversation into two parts. The first part is the story of how Gervaise took Macy on the conscious capitalism journey. A fascinating look into how a former McKinsey partner and Harvard Business School grad takes a Caribbean business into and on the conscious capitalism journey. Next week, we get into the story of his journey to being a conscious leader and very specifically into one of the most meaningful dialogues Raj and I have had on this podcast about the nature of healing and business, and specifically a very candid talk about race, trust, and belonging in the workplace, and the role of a conscious leader. Enjoy this week's episode on an ex-McKinsey consultant's road to a conscious business, and we hope you will come back and enjoy next week's discussion on conscious leadership. It's indeed my pleasure to welcome Gervais Warner uh, to our podcast. He's President Group CEO of a uh, company called uh, Massey, the Massey Group, which is a diversified conglomerate. And now I think we're of a holding company of a variety of range, wide range of businesses uh, that span the Caribbean islands, Jamaica to Barbados to Trinidad, and and beyond. Uh, now focused more on retailing. Uh, Grocery chain, uh, automobile retailing, also the energy sector. And Gervais will tell us a little more about that. So he's been the leader of that company now for, I believe, about 14 years. And this is uh, one of the largest, close to the largest. So uh, welcome, Gervais. <laughs> Very good. Very happy to have you. And I have the uh, great uh, fortune of spending a couple of weeks in the Caribbean a few months ago. And we got to travel with Gervais and his wonderful wife and, uh, and do a number of workshops for the company in three of the islands, so that was fun. So over the last 14 years, you know, that you've been the, in, the, in the role that you've had, um, how have you taken the business in a different direction? I mean, uh, 14 years is long enough to sort of build it in, in, a, in a certain way that, that felt right to you. What has that meant for you? What are the things that, you're, that you've done yeah, to build it your way? So, so that's the question, Tom, I think I, um, you know, it, it, it's been a real journey. So one of the things that uh, I started doing while I was still at McKinsey was <laughs> my wife's prompting, working on my own development as a person, father, husband, leader. And uh, so we had participated in a number of personal transformation programs. 
and I could see how it made me a better leader. I could see the impact I could have with teams and encouraging other people to do some of this work. It just made conversations a lot more, um, I guess, useful and productive. And, you know, in business, pretty much everything happens through a conversation or through a machine, right? And then it's conversations about the machine. So, um, when I arrived at, 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 at Neil and Massey, although I, I thought it was a, a great place to start, it had a real history heritage. You, you, you don't even know this, but the company was uh, actually uh, founded in 1923 uh, by uh, two gentlemen, Harry Neil and Charles Massey. And um, it was initially a place where only white men worked. Uh, so, the thought of, of, of someone of, of my complexion being the CEO would have gone crazy. Yeah. It was a colonial organization, colonial past. Yeah. So there's a real top-down command and control style of managing. There yeah. was this separation of privileges. So you became an executive, you uh, got certain privileges that the rank and file did not enjoy, or your named parking spot and the tea lady serving with white gloves and well, uh, silverware and stuff like that. And so there's a real separation. There. But this is just the history. This is just, this is just yeah, how it yeah. was, right? And I, when I joined it, that's what it was like. People were nice, but, yeah. um, yeah, they told you what to do in no uncertain terms. And if you didn't do it, now you were spoken to harshly. Um, yeah. and, uh, so, you know, honesty and integrity was important. This is a group of great ethics. Um, this is a, a group that cared about people and would invest in people. Uh, but they had ways that they were cheap and they would not treat people well. And the bathrooms were horrible and people would sit on chairs with three legs that would not have stood. Meant to have a fourth leg, but it broke some years ago. I mean, there were, there were just some things that were just like, come on, man. Oh, you can't, oh, man, that, you can't be serious. So um, I came and running a, a business unit so I could make such change in the business unit that I was running. But you had to be careful not to spend too much money because... Every year we yeah. would do a budget and if your expenses went up, uh, uh, you had to explain why your expenses were going up. So as, in, as in, uh, taking over as the CEO of the, of the group, I, I took over at a really difficult time. We had just done a major acquisition. I took over because Bernard, who I loved and everybody loved, I mean, every business, I was a giant in our society, uh, died of prostate cancer. And, yeah. uh, you know, he... The succession was not a careful passing with the baton. It was like he was going back to, to a way to be treated. Um, you know, we need somebody to, a group of you to run the company in the meantime. We, I got named the, dep the deputy senior kind of in a confusing process. Not deputy, a de a, you know, de designate acting CEO. Was, that was the position, acting CEO for, for a number of months. Until he passed, and then I was named the, the CEO of the organization. Um, we had acquired this group of companies in Barbados. A lot of them were losing money. It was it was it was it was a, a rough a rough 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 map to them. And taking over somebody who was so well loved, uh, it was but not easy. And so about two years in, um, I I uh, started doing work 
transformational work with team members. And we did develop a purpose for the group. That uh, was to be a force for good, creating value, transforming life. So we had created a purpose. And one Easter vacation, um, I happened to get this book, Conscious Capitalism. Hard copy, devoured the book. I mean, it was, it was, it was like an epiphany. It was like lightning going off in my brain. As I finished the book, I made flip charts. I went to an island home. The, the company has a home on one of the islands off of Trinidad. I, I called the office. I said, bring a, a flip chart for me. And I started to go through one of the tenets of conscious capitalism on this. I wrote notes and I brought my team down. I was on vacation. I said, team, you got to come down. I got to tell you about this. And I went through the tenets of conscious capitalism. And I said, look at this. This is us. This is who we need to be. This is for us. Look, 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 and look at what the book is saying about this study. This poems of endearment study. People who treat their people well. People who are honest and have great integrity and create a conscious culture where people are engaged and they treat their, their, their suppliers and stakeholders fairly and they give back to their they actually do better financially. They do better. This is what we have to go for people. Right? <laughs> and that was the big turning point. That was in 2011. That was, that was 12 yeah. years ago. And uh, yeah. it, it has made all the difference uh, for us in, in our group. I think, first of all, you know, the, the, we, we were a, a group that had now done work on purpose. We did work on value. So we had that center. We had a solid center, right? Yeah. Where we had to go to work first was in conscious leadership because all of us had grown up in an unconscious management paradigm. So that was a, that was a, you know, a big deal and a lot of work in doing that. I used a, a, a coach who split the team apart. I had like a year and a half period where, uh, we had abandoned it, went back to just trying to make money because we had hit a couple of uh, speed bumps and group of profit had declined. I went back to chasing profit. And one executive came and said to me, look, either we go back to what we said we were doing or we're being a conscious company, well, I'm leaving. Because you see, this, you're, not, you're not there. That's not where you operate. And she called me on it. And I said, Julie, Julie you're right. And um, went back, got another coach, went to retreat, confessed that I felt that um, I'd lost the team, that I'd lost their support and that respect and uh, you know, breakthrough moment of vulnerability. And uh, yeah, we, it, it, you know, it's sort of like we've done a lot of work, but it's all of a sudden like something came together in that moment. We made some changes on the, with the team members. A couple of team members had to go. And, uh, you know, we were able to start to really push this into a framework of what we expected from our leaders at Maxi. So, so, so we, we then were able, uh, Tim, to develop these expectations that we have for leaders at Maxi. Um, that we would all have a conscious awareness of ourselves and the impact we have on people 
that we would um, we would we would serve our people, that we would build lasting and enduring relationships, that we would achieve values based results. How we got our results was important, and that we would co-create the future together. And and, yeah. and we built a framework that we then started to explain what that meant to everyone yeah. who are leaders, and then people who are not leaders, what you should expect from your leader. With the 360-degree you know, feedback uh, survey so that yeah. we got input from everyone on how we were doing against these dimensions. And then development program, we have a leadership institute that we then developed with the help of Barry, we have some programs from them uh, yeah. to bring more leadership training to our leaders. And all of this together... Uh, helped us, you know, start doing the things that we said we would want to do in terms of the way that we interact with our suppliers in a values-based manner. Uh, we were always a company that did a lot of community service, and so that was really easy to unleash. You know, I, I, I worked with the United Day. We created this thing called the National Day of Caring, where all the companies go out and do projects and their communities, yeah. and it just creates the conversation and said this is something that we we do it. So we got more engagement with the communities around us. And, you know, this was, this was going, this was going pretty well. Uh, and then, um, we had another big strategic insight, which was that we just had too many companies that lost money. We weren't focused. And so we decided, uh, to break the yeah. group up and sell off pieces of the group and keep only those pieces that we felt we were really strong at. Uh, and could really provide a, a solid career for people in. Uh, yeah. And just as we did that, we pushed more delegation of, of accountability and authority into the org. We raised the thresholds for um, decision-making, and we put greater governance on our business units. Uh, and so people felt a greater sense of ownership, which they then shared with their team. Uh, and then COVID happened. Yeah. <laughs> and then we had to actually live by these things um people doing different things in the in different countries and uh, different units we did not try to manage this by you know some remote tower and uh our group did extremely well during covid we we grew up and did very people well taken care of we took care of our customers or the families of people you know we got involved in cases that were had nothing to necessarily do with massey but massey had a infrastructure to, of doctors, we in the oxygen business. Uh, we were just, you know, really, 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 uh, uh, we helped the Ministry of Health with the testing system. You know, every country would doing things above and beyond uh, to, to, to help us all survive this horrible pandemic. We started a, 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 yeah. a, a social uh, enterprise called Nudge, where we just started to help entrepreneurs and and fledgling businesses actually recover or build scale, working with our supermarkets, giving them shelf space, coaching young entrepreneurs and, and small businesses. I mean, we just started yeah. to expand our reach into our societies in the, in, in, in the Caribbean and uh, Colombia. And yeah. um, the result is that, you know, yeah, we've, we've continued to just grow extremely well. We've got a new vision for ourselves. We think that you know, the way that we run our companies now is at least something that we think is a gift to give the rest of the world. We'd love to talk about it. 
it makes a huge difference when um, uh, you know people can 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 actually feel that they're listened to, that they're heard, that they're um, uh, you know seen and rewarded for their contributions. Um, and 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 that works. That then they give more, and they delight their customers more. Our best customer service scores were during COVID. Yeah, yeah. Well, that that that, that sounds great. I, I I want you to put your McKinsey hat back on for a moment and sort of say, okay, you're about to give the uh, presentation to McKinsey alumni. If you want to create a conscious capitalist business, here's the first three things you should do. What would you be putting into the McKinsey playbook to create? The, uh, you know, to create a conscious capitalist business what would be the three things. It's funny, it's funny, it's a really funny question because, you know, I've been on some McKinsey conference calls where I kind of asked this and try to encourage people. The first thing is just this genuine interest in people. Mm. I come from McKinsey and I know we say it, right? Yeah. So when I was there, we said it. And even this morning, how Bob was saying but we first thing is you really gotta start with yourself and being a conscious leader. Mm. And that means being able to be vulnerable, which is not something that, you know, if I was talking to my McKinsey colleague, we, we we pride ourselves on looking good in front of clients and knowing what we're talking about and always mm. you know. So so being vulnerable is not natural you know, act. Not, not not a natural <laughs> act, right? But there's a space where you create invulnerability for people themselves to be really honest with what's happening for them and with them and in the company. Mm. And so I think that the first place you start with is with yourself as a leader. Mm -hmm. And if you can't model the behaviors of a conscious leader, you cannot get an organization to be a yeah. conscious, a conscious business. Yeah. Uh, and then, and then, then it permeates, you know, from from the team. The yeah. second big thing, I mean, maybe it's the first big thing, but I think it's the second, is, is that you really do have to have some pull on the wall, some sense of purpose, some sense yeah. of what is it that we're here for that can be easily explained. Yeah. You know, so so for us, we see the world as a dark place and getting darker. We come from countries with violence and very few role models of what good looks like. Yeah. So we see ourselves as a beacon yeah. um, that can be held to a higher standard. That when you work there, your experience is, oh wow, this is this is. Oh, I didn't know that such places existed on 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 the planet. When you when you do business there, you experience, you know, okay, this is safe. This is a place where. It's honest. Yeah. Um, um, if something goes wrong, they're going to fix it for me. So purpose is the second big, I think, um, uh, step in yeah. this process. And then the third is letting go of results. Financial results. So it, this, is, this is the one that maybe is the hardest. Maybe it was the hardest for me. It's easier for other people, but I'm competitive, I'm goal-oriented, um, you know, how you keep yeah. score in business is the bottom line, are you growing? We start there. Um, it's the proof of success, which is why I was so excited when I saw 
the, the data from firms of endearment that this actually led to better financial performance. But the problem is you can't do this for better financial performance. Yeah. You got to do this for purpose. You got to do this for the joy that your employees feel and express yeah. in pursuing that purpose with you. Yeah. You got to do it for the impact you have with your society and your customers. That every month at the end of the month, you can see how that paid out. Mm. It turns out that spending more time, back, that's where I spend my time. And at yeah. the end of the month, I get the score every quarter. I communicate it to shareholders. But I'm never concerned. And after, you know, sitting in my position, jump through hoops to figure out how we're going to grow because growth is inherent in our mindset. Growth yeah. is inherent in our people in our organization. And it's not just financial growth, it's personal growth, growth of impact. It's, yeah. um, you know, being able to do more good. We're of course yeah. good, do more good. And the results then show up. And if you do that responsibly, you won't waste money. You won't do it in a way that, uh, that, 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 um, you know, you go and dress yourself up in all sorts of glamour and, yeah. uh, drive the fanciest cars and fly on private jets. And, you know, not that private jets aren't good, but I mean, we just Which, went through a study for ourselves and I'm like, no, we're not there yet. You know, we just, you know, yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, so, so yeah, so I, I think those are the three things that I would say that with well, yourself. Just, uh, yeah. Yeah. Sorry. I was just going to repeat the three of the good McKinsey consultants. Start with yourself. Yeah. Make sure you've got purpose and stop chasing the financial results. Well, there's a fine line between not chasing the financial results and, um, and letting go of the importance of financial results. And I, and I'm struck that in the first go rounds that when you first got into this, you, the financial pressures changed how you thought for a little while. And then you came back and I'm curious, what, what, what was, what was the learning for you in that, you know, Hey, we started off down this path. Oh my goodness. We're hitting some speed bumps. Got to go back to the old way. Um, what was the lesson that, 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 that was there for you in that, in that retrenchment? Yeah. Ooh, that's a good question. I think the, the, the lesson is simple. That's something that doesn't work. <laughs> Particularly. Uh, Timothy, or Tim, if you let me call you Tim, um, if you start going down this path and you start declaring this is who you are, the cost of you better you you better off not declaring it than mm. starting off down the path and trying to retreat. Yeah, because as you try to retreat, you know you you are you are worth than someone who. Uh, was just profit poker. You're yeah. now, you know, basically like a liar, you're deceitful, you're pretending to be this, you know, force for good when, you know, real yeah. really are about profit. That's what you're. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You've created a uh, lot of cynicism in the organization and a lot absolutely. of skepticism about your authenticity. And, and yeah, yeah. Well, it's interesting, Gervais, that Julie played that role. Uh, in your company, and you may recall that Barry Waymiller, that Rhonda Spencer played that role. Mm. You know, after this document, the guiding principles, and she said, yeah, even Enron had beautiful words on the wall. 
you know, mm-hmm. how we're going to make sure mm-hmm. that this is real, right? Yep. But got Bob to then really, really uh, double down on it. So that's great. Um, I know that recently, like many conscious companies, you're always, there's no limit to consciousness. You're evolving to the next level of that. And uh, I think you got your, you and the company got interested in this idea of healing. And you talked about yes. the challenges of the region, right? The, the violence, yes. etc. And we had some very, I thought, very powerful experiences in, in Trinidad and Barbados and in Guyana with groups of your leaders and talking about this idea of healing and then them coming up with asking 30, 40 ideas, right? About yes. how they can reduce suffering and how they can bring more joy yes. to the company. Yes. So tell us a little bit about that, uh, how that's going. And yes. Yeah, right. I mean, any organization, as you they commit to being conscious and to taking care of your people, uh, it's interesting because particularly for a company that is as old as we are, you just have historical ways of things are done. Uh, processes, deadlines that are just part of how we've done business. And sometimes we don't have any appreciation for what some of these ways of operating uh, do to other people in the organization, the stress it creates um, and the unnecessary uh, uh, work that people may be taking on, um, prioritizing things above family when that was never your intention. And I had a I had an opportunity. We started doing this listening session recently. And I was in a listening session, and one of the people in the listening session, an attorney, was talking about during the last three months of the financial year, her family knows not to talk to her. They don't call her. She doesn't go visiting. They communicate via WhatsApp because she's involved in deal. And she's highly stressed, and uh, she's, you know, we have to get this thing done by the 30th of September, which is our financial year end. And, um, you know, she talks about people, you know, creating deadlines that are not even real just because they want things by a certain time. Now, this is really interesting because I'm sitting in the room and I know that I'm at the head of many of these transactions that she's talking about, right? And uh, this is the first time I'm hearing about the impact that this has had on a family life with parents, brother and sister. They don't, they don't talk to her. I'm like, yeah, you got to be kidding me. No way. That is, <laughs> right? Uh, but, and this has been going on for like two or three years. So she knows that she's doing it to herself. She knows that, you know, nobody's necessarily forcing her to do this. But for two or three years, she's never had the space, not created a space for her to be able to express that. And that's, that's just a, like a, a small microcosm of a series of situations that we have in any organization where we're creating, you know, a, a breakdown in a family over something that is absolutely unintended. So part of, I think, being a healing organization is going after stuff like that. Um, uh, finding out where there are places where we have, you know, people in our rank and file who have, you know, um, difficult situations at home. And, you know, they're private people. They don't say anything. They don't have a home or their home has, you know, been destroyed by a flood or something of this sort. 
we give our charity all across the country, da, 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 da. and we have people that are organizations who are suffering. And so last year, we actually put into our um, scorecards the buying charitable causes in our own organizations up to $100,000. So we would actually have encouraged our leaders to go look for those opportunities in the company. Um, to be able to help our people. So, so yes, a, a part of this journey, Raj, I think it's a natural progression to realize, you know, you now have to go seek the places where yeah. suffering is happening that you haven't heard about because people suffer in silence a lot. Okay. And I love the uh, phrasing you're adopting now around the Caribbean heart, right? global company. Yes. Your ambitions now are, and you already are present in the U.S., in a number of other places to become a, a global company rooted yes. in those Caribbean values. Yes, yes, yes. So, yeah. so Tim, just, just what Raj is referring to is that last year we created this vision for ourselves to be a global course for good, an investment holding company with a Caribbean heart. And mm. the Caribbean heart encapsulates the humanity of who we are as a group of companies how we treat our people, our customers, and and and, so, and the experience, and so yeah. um, that is in our vision statement. Our board gets it, and as I started off the call, you know, because we're on this journey, when something terrible happens, it really hits us hard. Hmm. Yeah, I love that, and um, it's really a beautiful thing. And I want to go back a little bit to the discussion around purpose and developing the purpose. And, um, you know, I think having a purpose is a very good thing. I think making it matter is even better <laughs> and, and moving from it being a statement to it being meaningful and relevant to some of your frontline people. Um, what have been some of the things that you think that you've done as an organization to really drive that home, to really do that well? Yeah, good question. Um, so I think first of all, when Raj uh, used the analogy of Rhonda saying, you know, even Enron had great words on the wall, uh, I think we, we, we very much knew from the very beginning that, yes, you do have to put things up on the wall, but that wasn't our exercise, right? Our exercise was, you know, we went through a process of, you know, getting to this epiphany for ourselves of, you know, course for good, you can say we're kind of about seeking a term is that, right? Um, yeah. But as we saw it, that really captured what we were up to, right? And as I mm -hmm. said, you know, we could be enough, we, our business could be a different type of business, you know, mm -hmm. could be making jet aircraft, I don't know, but we happen to be in some very boring industry, but they mm. touch a lot of people, you know? Yeah. We, distribute LPG cooking gas to lots of homes, millions of homes. You know, we have millions of people who come to shop at our supermarket. You know, people buy our cars. Uh, so, yeah, we touch a lot of people and it seemed right, seemed appropriate for the environment that we were in. And, uh, you know, when, when we, when we um, came up with this force for good, creating value, transforming life, one of my executives pulled me aside um, I think you're crazy. We cannot go wrong saying we're a force for good. I said, well, why? She's an attorney. She said, because people are then going to expect us to be a force for good. And when yeah. we're not, 
it's going to invite liability. Yeah. Isn't that a good thing? <laughs> like, expose yeah. yourself, right? Uh, so, so I think the first part of that answer, Tim, is you really have to believe it yourself. And it has to be meaningful to you as uh, a group of leaders. It has, yeah. it, has, it has to really point you in a direction when difficult situations arise. It helps you. It helps guide you to make the right decision. And then the yep. second thing is, quite frankly, things only live in conversation and action. You know, our purpose is not going to live because we did a presentation, we sent out a video, we put up plaques. It lives because, yep. and this we did. We we had we had uh, purpose and vision workshops where we collected people from around different parts of organizations, and we just had discussion. What does it mean for you? And, we actually mapped these things out into greater details of what people felt these things meant uh, to them throughout the organization. And um, when you start to make decisions, simple decisions like, okay, you know that uh, set of really horrible bathrooms we had in all the tours? We're going yeah. to redo all of that. We're going to start to remodel out our supermarkets um, and, and clean them up. When we're going to, we're going to, uh, implement um, programs of bonuses down to the line staff. You know the, these things. Th then people start to say, "Well, wait a minute. Maybe they maybe they are serious, right?" So it's there's a combination of engagement, which we we did, but then it's also yeah. a combination of then the things that you then follow up and actually do. You know. Yes. Well, that's the part that I'm really interested in because at some level, when you're starting this journey, and I have this discussion with executives and their teams all the time, I say the the first step on the now that you've got a purpose and making it matter is getting alignment between your strategy and your purpose. So now you start asking yourself, how will the business be different if we're really, how does that change some of our strategies? How does that relate to our business model? You know, we've got a business model. How does our business model start to shift? And then how does that relate to our culture? And I find having that discussion with an executive team or with the business unit teams is where you really get into some meaty discussions around Absolutely. if we're going to live this, how does it affect Absolutely. those other parts of our business and how we operate? 100%. And so if you haven't done the work to actually get honest conversation in those discussions, you'll play yeah. around. You'll yeah. just play around with stuff and you'll you know, have wonderful stickers on the walls and post-its yeah. and that kind of stuff, but you will not get to the heart of the matter. And yeah. so you're, you're absolutely right. And we have, we've had, I mean, many difficult conversations. So I'll give you a, a good example. We decide we're going to delegate authority mm -hmm. deeper in the organization. Part of that structure was having independent boards of directors for our business unit. It, that was going to create this sense that they are more empowered than reporting just to me. Yeah. So I said, okay, this is wonderful, but you know, I'm still the CEO. <laughs> so I should, you know, probably be the chairman of each of those boards. They were like, no, 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 we don't want you. If you're there, then it's like, the thing, then you're the boss. I'm the boss. I have need to be the chairman. And then, you know, yeah. I, I was like, well, wait, 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 w
and and and, and so I'm just saying that these 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 are this oh, is a yeah. real conversation, right? Because yeah. But for the space for them to have that conversation with me and for me to listen, I mean, I could have insisted, all right? It yeah. wouldn't have created the space for the culture that exists now around true empowerment, around freedom to make decisions. And the, when they saw me model that behavior, they then got to do it with their teams and give yeah. up control of their team yeah. and so forth and so on. And... It's 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 it, it's in those moments, Tim. Because you know it's not like this. Have a yeah, of course, and we did. But it's in yeah. those moments of truth when the culture yeah. is really tested on one of those questions. Yeah. How do you how do you react? Yeah. What is the precedent that you create that you need yeah. to be present? Well, I love that example because I was just having a discussion yesterday <laughs> about <laughs> this, where the issue was now that we've gone down this empowerment thing. You know, the observation that somebody on the team was making is the CEO doesn't want to let go of being CEO. <laughs> you know, um, it sounded like a good idea. And yes, their values and their heart was behind it. But, you know, six months into it, they're looking and going, wait a minute, I'm the CEO. What is my role? And, yes. and I think that's a really interesting observation that it comes down to the personal development of, am I really willing to walk the talk? And as you go down this, really recognizing that this is a fundamental shift in power and, you know, Absolutely. that's a mindset shift that is really critical to understand. Um, that's so beautifully said, that is so beautifully said, right? Because many of us work very hard, study climb the corporate ladder to get to this position where we really have power. Ooh, yes. You I got did it. it. <laughs> yeah. It took me 15 years to get here. I got it, baby. <laughs> Congratulations. Now, you want me to give it away? Do you know what it took for me to get here? Now yeah. you want me to just give that stuff up? You've lost your mind. Yeah. Yeah. So, and that's the truth. It's not easy. It's, it's really easy. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I, I love that story and I love you for being a wonderful example of that. Thank you. <laughs> I'm a working Rethinking power, right? It's power with, not power over people. Absolutely. Reminds me of the classic Herb Kelleher. He tells a story where on their flights from Baltimore to Long Island, was canceled and all these people were stranded. And one of the people at that airport, she decided to hire five buses. She put all the people on the buses and sent them to Long Island. You know, and then she wrote to her saying, I, I hope you mean what you say. <laughs> <laughs> and so she was, of course, recognized and in the that that's an example. My yeah, pleasure. Tim is wonderful. I like I can see why you do this. I can see why you do this. You're a spectacular interviewer and wonderful person to spend this time with. So thank you. Well, well, thank you. Thank you so much. And and a big thank you to our listeners. And if you've enjoyed today's show, please go over to Apple iTunes or Podcast and leave us a rating and give us some feedback. And wherever you're listening to it, hit the subscription button. And special thanks to Tech Sounds for their production and to Technology de Monterey 
for their sponsorship of this program. Thank you all, and we'll see you next week.